passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Dynamite. John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you, your Wednesday night tradition. How are you, Wei? Doing pretty good. Yourself? I'm doing okay. I almost was late for Dynamite tonight. There was almost there was almost a, a crisis. Oh, no. What happened? I went to go get a coffee. And just the other day, you had been telling me about this cl- this Tim Hortons that is closer to my house than this one that had been the previous closest one. So I have not gone to this new one yet. I've still been going to this further one, which is a good, like I'd say there and back. It's a solid like 20 minute or so walk. It will take me. Okay. So I got there. I got my coffee. And I'm leaving. And... I realize that all of a sudden, uh, this flip-flop I'm wearing broke. Uh-oh. Do you know how hard it is to walk home when, like, this little piece of material that holds the whole thing together breaks? I was this close to calling an Uber. <laughs> it was <What>? so <laughs> embarrassing, dude. Like, I was completely helpless. What? what, what like, so... the. The whole thing was detached, like you couldn't hook it onto your feet. Do you have like thong flip flops? Like, what, what broke specifically? Like you know, like the piece that you like put your like foot around, like like the thread, like the exactly. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, that's the one thing. Very like not the thickest material. Oh, and it's yeah. ripped out. I'm trying to like MacGyver this thing. I had to sit down. I'm trying to fix it. There's nothing. It literally. Like I had, and you were, I had to and you were holding walk. your coffee the whole time. I'm holding my coffee of the whole course. time. I'm not giving up on my coffee here, but I'm like, here are my options. Okay, I can, I can walk home barefoot. I could walk to, <laughs> like, okay, get an Uber, which I was drastically considering, or I could just try and maneuver with this broken flip flop, which is what I tried, dude. I'm not lying. It took me 30 minutes to walk home. And it was like, I I looked like I was limping the entire way. I looked like Eddie Kingston, okay, throughout this match uh, as I was trying to get home. I left my house to go get that coffee at 10 after 7. And I swear to God, I sat down here at 7.58 for dynamite. And I have decided that I am never leaving my house again. I'm quarantining forever. 
Yeah, I, I I guess you could just make your own coffee, but um that that sounds like a terrible ordeal. Um uh you made it in time, thank goodness, but I I've definitely had uh broken flip-flop situations. They're they're terrible. What what a catastrophe. Oh, like I I've, I never have I've never had this problem before, but I, it's like how is this not a bigger problem out there? You're completely helpless. Uh yeah. Yeah, I mean, what would you have done, Way? What would you have done? You're a in wise individual. Yeah, in your situation, um, I probably would have done what you did. Um, you know, tried. It was not easy, dude. It was not. E- I could not walk at any kind of speed. You know, Crossing get- the street, I was like, I was getting. Vi- I had to cross like some major intersections to get home. Could you? Well, get- one major intersection. Could you get some tape? Nothing. Way, I'm on the street. Like I literally, I have nothing but this coffee. I there's rope? not any rope. Do you have a belt? Rope doesn't grow on trees or oh. be served at like Tim Hortons. You know, I probably would have used the leaf, you know, some sort of like long uh, grass, maybe, maybe tied that thing back together. I, I literally tried to like tie this thing around, like nothing was working. I was racking my brain for anything that I might have picked up from 25 years ago in Boy Scouts, like nothing. There was nothing happening Headphone here. cables? You know said, what? Now that now that I think about that, that that almost I don't know if it would have held. It would have it would have done a number on my headphones because I would have like chewed through the wire. Oh God! I, w- I wish I could have driven by to see this man. Would you have stopped? Holding a or coffee. would you have or would you have pulled your phone out? Oh, of course I would have taken a photo, but then I would have offered you uh, a lift, I guess. Yeah, this would have been great TikTok content. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, we all have our uh, difficulties uh, in life, and uh, today was seemed like a tough one for you. My tough life. How was your day? Uh, my day was good. Yeah. Um, I watched. I didn't. I didn't spill my coffee. I didn't do that. Well, th- th- that's that's um, you're already ahead of a lot of people. But I had my morning coffee. I mean, my walk is not nearly as far. It's like you know, pretty much like a uh, I would say I want to say like a five minute walk. I uh, had my morning coffee. Had a croissant. It was lovely. Um, watched a, a a bit of wrestling over the past uh, couple of days, and then I watched Freddie Got Fingered, and um, that was an experience. So I'll be joining the Up Next guys on their Patreon tomorrow, talking about all that. Um, I look forward to the discussion at the very least. Uh, the movie itself was definitely interesting. So, um, how long is it? It's an hour and a half. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, that's that's about the most you could possibly ask of fans. Yeah, yeah. I I believe Tom Green had mentioned that he wanted to release a director's cut because there was some demand for a director's cut and. Um, I well, I would, I would think anyone that was like a hardcore Tom Green fan, like they wouldn't be able to get enough. So that would be servicing that guy. Like we, know, we, we joke and stuff. Tom Green was uh, massive at this time uh, period when this movie came out. Well, I consider myself a pretty hardcore Tom Green fan. I was a big, big Tom Green fan. And um, I did not come out of that first experience watching that movie with a positive uh, opinion. I never saw all. it. So I really can't comment other than, I mean, it got trashed when it, when it came out. It's, but. it's very different. But like watching it as an adult. I guess like watching it after all the discussion that's come out about the film since, is it is it intentionally like bad? Is it trolling? Is it this? Is it that? Is this meta? Makes it certainly a whole lot more interesting. So, um, you know, it'll have been like what, like 
almost 20 years since I've seen it. So now I'm watching it with a completely different perspective and it's like uh, interesting to say the least. So I'll be talking about that with those guys. Uh, but then, yeah, man, my, my day was great. Got a bit of a nap before my flip flop held together, like had a coffee and a croissant. You win. You, you win oh, today between I, us. I had a damn great day. Started raining today. It was raining. I had to run outside to like uh, cover up the. I had left these uh, these cushions outside. So in the in my final act before these flip flops fell apart, I nearly wiped out on my backyard uh, on the on this uh, on the floor there and you, nearly. You died. need a camera on you at all times, John. I mean, this sounds like I a, definitely don't. This I sounds like don't. a Freddie got fingered. Well, that was my day. Just. Barely, barely scratching and getting by. So that that was it. Um, you know what? We maybe need some post wrestling flip flops. That would be a great item in the store because then those that are members of the post wrestling cafe could win a pair each week, and that might compel me to try and enter the draw to win each week. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. I I I just I cannot guarantee the quality of like the thread and the flip-flops though i would hate for somebody to have that same ordeal with like our our logo on it like i'm sure these flip-flops that you have what were they like billabong or something <laughs> no they weren't billabong I, I don't know what brand they were to be honest you probably you're probably swearing them off now so i don't know if i want to be responsible for that well they, they had a good run but they're uh they're in the trash now so that that was the end of them but it is the brand new beginning of someone's T-shirt journey. You are going to come into contact with a brand new shirt. Uh, do we have a specific shirt we're giving out? Um, no, we can. You can pick any shirt, but among them, of course, our brand new Marvel T-shirt from uh, our friend uh, Robert Pearson, who designed it. And uh, you can uh, as well pick up your Rocky My Via Picture T-shirt, Post Pro Res T-shirt, as well as any of the shirts that we previously released up at store.postwrestling.com. Well, let us go into. All of the cafe members who are eligible in this draw to win a t-shirt of your choosing from store.postwrestling.com. Way is digging deep, and he is going to uncover the name of that winner. Let's find out how high this goes on the pronunciation scale in terms of difficulty. Way, the winner is. Congratulations to Luis Lopez from Washington State. Washington State. Washington State, yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. That one's pretty easy too. That was that that one was not too bad. Yep. Did you hear about the state of Pennsylvania who has said, Hey Toronto Blue Jays? No thanks. So I woke up this morning and it was like all over the news. Oh, the Jays are now going to Pittsburgh this season. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Blue Jays. And I'm like, okay. So like I'm like, yeah, great. Then like some sometime later in the day, like the headline I see <laughs> Jays lose yet another home <laughs> home like yeah what happened well i i was listening to uh the radio and one of the you know the 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 government in pennsylvania did not like lay out a specific like other than you know concerns that they've seen cases increase in pennsylvania they want to mitigate any risk but one of the factors brought up is that the pirates on their schedule they shorten season they're not playing any Florida-based teams. Toronto is. And it, 
like that is the theory that you know if Toronto's going to Florida, no one no one wants to come into contact with people that are going to Florida. That's it, eh? Wow, okay. that, that could have played a factor. It's not like like the Pirates are going to be traveling all over the country. I, I won't say all over the country. I don't know exactly the the geography of like their um of their road trips, but I mean they're going to be traveling out of the state, obviously, but. A pair is not going to Florida, whereas the Jays, I mean, they their first series that starts this week is in Tampa. So so what happens now? They're they're scrambling for a place um, <laughs> from my understanding. Like, I'm not I'm not following this super closely, but I guess Dunedin had always been an option, but they don't want to be in Florida. And it seems that it could very well be. I think Baltimore's in the mix, but the reality is like they're probably going to have to just share a stadium of whoever's going to take them uh, at, at this time. So while Pittsburgh won't, I'm sure there will be someone else that does. But like the season starts tomorrow. Um, the Jays start like with, with road games, but like they don't have a home. And I cannot imagine the logistical nightmare this is um, and what this, this period has been like for the Jays staff. And to figure out all of this, the broadcasters that have to be trying to scramble to figure all this out and you don't have um you don't know where this team's going to be based throughout half the season yeah i mean the media that's there to follow them as well i mean uh that actually is getting me more interested in the season than even the sport itself <laughs> you you love chaos well, i mean who doesn't i mean it's it's well i mean up from to, the sidelines i mean to a certain it's... extent yeah i'm sure it's wrecking havoc on you know, a lot of people's personal lives and that's no good, but something like this is just, I don't know, some really interesting. Well, we will, uh, we'll see the, uh, yeah, pretty much the, uh, major league baseball it restarts this week and a week from now we'll find out where the blue Jays are calling home if they have one by then. Uh, but let's get into, uh, we have uh, a number of news items here and we're going to start with everyone's favorite subject and that is television ratings. Raw on Monday night, there was a lot of focus on this because last week they had their lowest viewership average in history, of which we have data for. So the good news was they increased their viewership this week. The bad news, they had the second lowest viewership ever this week with 1,628,000 watching the show um, and tying their lowest uh, demographic rating in the 18 to 49 demo. They did a 0.46. Uh, they did get off to a better start this week with 1,740,000 viewers in the first hour, but then fell 7.5% in the second hour, and then another 4.5% in the third hour, uh, falling to 1,535,000 in hour three. That all built up to that big show, Randy Orton match. Um, there were you know, a lot of demos that were down, primarily among um, 12 to 34-year-olds and... 18 to 34 year olds, uh, adults, 18 to 34 this week down 31%. Uh, and then males, 12 to 34 down 25%, females, 12 to 34 down 30%. There were also some enormous losses in the third hour. The only audience that was able to prop itself up. And this came without any gardening segments was the over 50 audience. They were up 8% this week and only fell two and a half percent in the third hour. So, that audience loved the show. Um, everyone else, it was um, quite a quite a sobering look at this raw number. And in some ways, I would say that the, between the two numbers, last week and this week, 
this would be the one that stings a bit more coming off the pay-per-view that we saw did have a lot of talk coming out of it. And you had this Orton Big Show match. And as we said on Monday, I, I thought they built really well to that match throughout the show. But um, we're, we're going to see what their patience level is like or if they react erratically to this to this number. I, I don't know what your takeaway is from this, but to me, part of turning this all around is a necessary need for patience. And I don't know how much they have. I agree. I mean, I think if anything, the fact that this is now, um, I mean, it's always been a pattern, but the fact that it's down to the very bottom of its recorded history um, and it's continuing in that trend, I mean, tells you that this is a problem that has been several weeks, if not years in the making. And it's not something that I think you could just fix in one day with, you know, a, I don't know, an attempt at a hot main event. Um See, like, it'd be one thing if, like, you know, they didn't try for this show, but I feel like they actually tried for this one. You know, they, they like, in the third hour, they put several things that I would say were higher caliber than usual. And uh, still, you know, it resulted in a terrible rating for that last hour. Um, so I I don't know if you can really look at this and say, hey, what's an immediate solution we can, we can use? Because what has that solution been in the past but to bring back an old star or I don't know, try to like brand a show as some sort of anniversary. And they've really run all those like, you know, gimmicks dry. Um, and those are going to be band-aids. Those are one week solutions. And I, I don't know if they're going to have the, the patience to kind of rebuild. Like if, if anything like this, this, this switch of, you know, taking Paul Heyman out it to many people signaled that, they they ran out of patience with with that strategy and this one i mean while you can say they are building to certain big matches and there are some directions um you, you also look at like who is being pushed it's certainly um older performers that have become the the biggest focus of the of the show yeah yeah it has um do you see these numbers changing though if it was say you know a younger star like a I don't know, Drew McIntyre being promoted in the main event. I, I just don't, I'm not convinced that, you know, um, long-term, absolutely. The fact that you don't have any newer stars, that's the issue long-term. Um, on the, in the short term, I mean, I, it, it might just have, to me, it's more of a problem with just the quality of the show over the years and maybe even the length of it. Uh, and of course, I, I think that's definitely worn on people because I, I think you're looking at this, that, you know, this Orton Big Show stuff and and bring, you know, e even on Monday's show, like they were, you know, I, I the only reasonable explanation I can come up with of them teasing Ric Flair is the fact that they felt that maybe Ric Flair was going to attract people because apparently he wasn't even there and yet was promoted throughout the show as if he was going to be that. Like, it seems like they're just trying to come up with any small like christian's going to be on the show tonight like they made a big deal of that monday afternoon and it just seems like whatever tricks we can come up with we're going to throw and they're not working like even like the, the hot shotting stuff is not resonating with, with people so there has to be that frustration like we we tried to kind of hand this over and get all these new acts over we are trying now to just hot shot things nothing's working and it's it to me is going to take a a real concerted effort of what do we want this show to reflect and acknowledging that this kind of tried and true formula that has been pretty much 
WWE's presentation style for two decades, it probably is in significant need of a, a giant overhaul unless you're satisfied with these numbers that, that are down so much, but you still are doing respectable numbers on cable and you just chalk this up to the pandemic or numbers being down and you don't want to address like the root causes and you can continue doing this for as long as you want, but we don't know where rock bottom is going to be. Well, the idea of an overhaul is interesting because I don't know what that would look like with the, with the WWE. Like in the past, like what more can you do besides, you know, change out the head writer, um, break up the brand split, um, which they've done in the past. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'd love to know because, like, I would say creatively, I I just can't see that many out of the box, big different ideas that they'd be willing to try. Yeah, I mean, and you you could look at like this this time period. Is this is this the time that you could take more risks of doing like radical changes? Um, I, I don't think they're looking at radical changes. I think they they've been making I, radical changes on their pay per views every month. Uh, those those they have be uh, have been. Um, but. We will we will see if there is uh what the response is to to this week and if you know next week they're promoting two title matches on the show so it seems that the strategy now is at least one if not two big matches that we promote for a week um, and there's nothing to say that next week maybe it's going to take time for people to realize that hey look there's there's a big match on Raw and that this could serve as as some kind of bump to your numbers but at least this week it it certainly did not stephanie mcmahon did a fairly lengthy interview today um well it was about a half hour with ad age um did you get to see any of this i read your notes did not read uh, see the interview this was really interesting um the host uh janine pogi i hope i'm pronouncing that right um you know stephanie mcmahon does a, a lot of these things and First of all, like I think Stephanie is very good in these settings, but when you see a Stephanie McMahon interview, she can very much she she is on message very uh nine times out of ten. Um and this one, not to say she was off message, but I thought you got a lot more insight in this because there were some really good questions asked, and I thought we got way more insight than you typically do from some of these um it WWE executives when they are speaking out. Um they talked a lot about the pandemic and what they again, Stephanie said that part of our job is putting smiles on faces and it's our responsibility to continue with our programming. And immediately I thought, oh, my goodness, this is uh, the direction we are going here. But um, she talked about the adjustments that they've made during the pandemic, including uh, production changes, like how they're going to shoot the ring, um, utilizing uh, trainees in the audience that are socially distant and wearing masks, as well as um, encouraging their announcers to speak a lot more instead of laying back and letting the crowd react to certain um, segments in the ring and such and kind of pushing them to uh, fill, fill those those gaps. She mentioned something that I don't think any of us have noticed, that they've placed a virtual ceiling into their programming uh, because of the ceiling fan that she notes doesn't look great. Um, wow, I haven't noticed it in the body of the matches. I mean, certain entrances I know have that, like Shinsuke Nakamura's, but um, mm -hmm. in, the, in the body of the match, I I didn't, I haven't seen it or I haven't noticed. 
She spoke um, openly about, you know, that they're playing a lot with the audio and crowd sweetening, and they recognize the fact that sometimes they go overboard with it and they listen to their audience when they're doing too much of it. Um, but they are, you know, they are putting in canned audio. And this was this was an interesting fact was she felt that during this time period, we've learned that our fans, sometimes they they want to get to know the people behind these characters and see them less polished. And that is such uh, the antithesis of what we associate with the WWE style of presentation, where everything is so at times overly produced and everything is done to a T that I found that to be an interesting insight, the fact that it's coming from them and not from a fan base. Yeah. And I'm also curious to know, like, what is it about this particular period that um, might've taught them that lesson? Because it, it's definitely something that I think existed, a criticism that existed prior to this whole thing. Um, she also mentioned the fact that all these shows are voluntary. Um, there are some who have opted out and she talked about the, uh, they are using the advanced testing when it comes to COVID-19 as opposed to rapid testing, which she notes uh, can't, uh, isn't as accurate at times. And we have pandemic level cleaning every night and also brought up the spray, the magic spray that we use. All right. Well, so the, the spray is still in effect. Um, and then once people pass their tests, they still have to go through temperature checks and fill out a form before they get into the building. Then they kind of shifted focus about um, in the wake of the, the death of George Floyd and their talent being outspoken and looking internally at their own company. Uh, Stephanie noted that 21% of their audience is African-American and mentioned different, different initiatives from certain performers, including the New Day, taking a knee and wearing armbands. Um, and brought up several examples of this, also mentioning that 40% of their current champions are African-American across all of their brands and they have had issues in the past where African-American talent have voiced their their uncomfortableness with certain scenarios. And they're open to having those conversations and looking at themselves in terms of what kind of uh, how they're presenting di different performers as well in all of this. Yeah, refreshingly, I would say, um, I guess, insightful, you know, uh, talking about some very sensitive issues that uh, WWE, I guess, publicly tends to stray away from. Um, so I, I'm happy to hear Stephanie at least speak on it. And then the, uh, the last couple of notes here, uh, when it was asked about medical insurance, she noted that, um, we, our performers are independent contractors, so we don't have medical insurance for them, but they do cover all injuries as well as offer, um, offer help for those with alcohol and substance abuse problems. She went into the cinematic matches that they've been, uh, that they've been utilizing and noted um, that Metallica wanted to stay involved with WrestleMania because it sounds like they were going to be involved with the undertaker's original entrance at WrestleMania in some form or fashion. So that was not a call made just for the boneyard match. They had something in place with Metallica uh, before the entire pandemic and shipped to the boneyard match. And she said that during this, this pandemic period, WWE network consumption is up 67%. Um, so that, that would not be subscribers up. That, that would be uh, a, an astonishing number. But those with the network, it's been, you know, consumption is up that number, while YouTube consumption is up 70%. And it would not surprise me, Way, if if the network numbers are more stable than usual this, this time of the year, if 
the fact that they've continued with these cinematic matches every month, they would have the data to, to see if these are working or not. And the fact that we've gotten so many months of them, I mean, that would suggest that this uh, curiosity has, has carried over. And we had that huge number at WrestleMania of free subscribers and their next uh, quarterly report. We'll see how many of those, that was like 476,000 free subscribers, how many they were able to keep with a lot of these out of the box ideas. It wouldn't surprise me uh, either, um, just given how, you know, uh, I believe Netflix consumption obviously is going to be up and people are staying at home a lot more for their entertainment. And as long as you give people a reason to stay subscribed, uh, it seems like people might be. And then uh, talked about their headquarters. They're delaying their move to their new headquarters and also reevaluating um, how they're going to go about that, stating like we had a very old mentality that we needed everyone present in the room. And now we're learning because everyone's working remotely. Um, she joked, except for our chairman and CEO, who is the one person going to the office. Um, but there you go. That is a. Uh, I found this to be a really interesting interview from Stephanie McMahon, and uh, I thought you you were able to get a lot more than than typical. Like I've seen many many Stephanie McMahon interviews, and this was the one where uh, she seemed to like the questions were very good, and you got a lot of interesting insight. Cool. Uh, Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea has been postponed. It was supposed to be taking place in February. They have now moved it to October of next year, and a month ago, Jericho had put out a video stating that they had sold out uh, once uh, cabins went on sale and they were just taking names for a waiting list. So it tells me like we, we talked about this when this was first announced. What would the response be like for people to go on a cruise right now? It That did not seem to prohibit anybody from uh, joining this. But the company that they work with, they have suspended all cruises from January until March of next year, which affects uh, Jericho's cruise, and they are moving it to later in the year. But I cannot say I'm too surprised by this one because this seemed like if you were signing up for this, you were definitely taking a leap of faith that this would happen uh, without an issue occurring, and we did get an issue here. Yeah, we did, yeah. I mean, if it were to have proceeded, I really would be interested to know like what AEW's response would have been if they were going to permit their talent from being there, if, you know, mm -hmm. rumors that they were going to actually film an edition of Dynamite, uh, you know, at a remote destination following during the cruise, uh, if that those are to be believed, like how how much would AEW be willing to, uh, I would I have to say, risk the safety of its performers in order to, and really Chris Jericho in order to take part in this thing. I mean, with Jericho, I don't think they would have any sort of say. If Jericho wanted to do it, he would do it. Um, but that decision was taken out of their control and for now. Um, so October, 2021, I mean, the, the dates, by the way, it's a Thursday to Monday. So if they, it's not like they can do a live dynamite as had kind of been teased during the last one, but they could always tape an episode for the following Wednesday and God knows where the world's going to be by October, 2021. But uh, I think you bring up a lot of, you know, caution that if, if we have a vaccine by then, if who knows? Um, but yeah, that to me would have been, you know, if it had been February, I think AEW would really have to to think about that of like what what potential risk are we not just health and safety, but the performers. But if we if there's some kind of outbreak and we don't even have talent that can 
do 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 TV. I mean, it's um, it would have been a certain uh, a big concern. So I'm sure that there's probably a certain level of relief that it's going to be postponed till much later next year. We are approaching like you know the period now where reassessing timelines and exactly like what what the forecast might be for this entire pandemic and, and places opening up like we're approaching the the period where i'm sure a lot of people are considering what their wrestlemania plans are this year i'm sure wwe is following following this very closely wondering if there'll be a show or at least a show open to a you know a full capacity stadium-sized crowd so um we're still of course many months away but I, I mean, I'm sure everything is, is being considered at the moment. And it extends, of course, down to the independents that are booking venues and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the timetables are probably all over the place. Like even when you see like the sports leagues, like they're they're all trying to wrap up in like early to mid-October because I'm sure there's the concern that you go any longer. There's always the, the concern about another outbreak and we just want to get our seasons in. Um it's very hard to play that game of just guessing like where, how, how far you can go and if these leagues can even finish up their seasons. Um, what else do we have here? Um, we also, uh, on TakeOver tonight, uh, I guess the big news coming out of this is that Keith Lee, after two weeks, he is no longer a double champion way. He has relinquished the North American title and it's going to be settled in a ladder match at TakeOver SummerSlam weekend. Was that the big announcement? That was the big announcement. We got a two-week double champion. Okay. He relinquished it, so they didn't take it away from him? Uh, I believe it was relinquished. Yes. Okay. Well, um, you take the photos, and then you move on, I guess. No, you take the Instagram video, and then you get the photos <laughs> after <right>. the fact. <laughs> uh, we t- I wanted to just read this this update. I won't go through the whole thing, but we did talk about, about Bobby Fulton on Monday, and there's a bit of a... well. Um, uh, a positive update, and he wrote this. Um, two powerful wor- two powerful words is and was, and he talks about going to the emergency room, and he got a CAT scan, and he was laying in the bed, and there were several people surrounding him, and they told uh, Fulton that they found the problem. There is an artery in your throat near your nose that the radiation kind of messed up. And it's finally blowing, and that's what's bleeding. This is what he needed that operation for on Monday. And they told him, it is right by where your tumor is. Fulton asked one of the people standing there, does that mean I have cancer? And one of them shook their head up and down, yes. They said the artery is where the tumor is. They began discussing a plan to take care of this artery. They were going to destroy it, close it down. So I go, and as we're going, the artery is where... This is this is very wordy, but um, anyway, finally, Fulton asked for clarification. Do I have cancer? And another person here said, we don't see any evidence of that. And this seemed to be a miscommunication when they said where the tumor is. What they meant to say is it's where the tumor was that had been taken care of previously. So it sounds like the cancer has not come back based on this update that Bobby Fulton provided. But um Hmm. That is definitely something worth clarifying. Okay, okay. So he's he's got sounds like you know post operation complications, but no, that's what it sounds like. Return yes. of cancer. Okay, well, um, that couldn't have been more confusing. Damn, and I can't imagine like what it would. Man, the stress he must have been under just to get a clear answer. But God, yeah. Okay. 
So uh, his son had just said he's still in rough shape after this procedure. But um, I mean, certainly that that's positive news that it could have been much, much worse if the cancer had come back. So that is uh, that is very positive. And the last uh, news item here is that next weekend's UFC fight night main event is off between Holly Holm and Irene Aldana uh, after Aldana had to remove herself uh, from the card. And the new main event, it was already scheduled for that card on August 1st, which is at the apex in Vegas between Derek Brunson and Edmund Shabazian. And because it's such a short notice um, promotion to the main event, it will only be a three round fight. And Ariel Hawani's reporting that they're they're hoping to book home and Aldana October the 5th and keep that fight together. Um, so that is uh, what's going on with the UFC, who has their final uh, fight island card this Saturday before coming back to Vegas. So that is the latest going on there. Way, what is coming up on Thursday at the site? We have uh, a, the latest edition of the British Wrestling Experience. I believe Martin will be riding... Uh, not with Benno and Jamesy, but with a, a few other friends. Yes, yes. He's going to be joined by Sam West and Claire Warden from the Wrestling Resurgence Project. So they will be uh, continuing to, to, to discuss the speaking out movement and getting uh, their viewpoints from kind of a, a promotional side of things of what are the next steps to take. So I'm looking forward to hearing that discussion that Martin has on Thursday night. Friday on the Post Wrestling Cafe Patreon, I will be running Rewind a Smackdown and I'll be joined by Kristen Ashley, who will be joining me for the entire show, giving her thoughts on the current product and that night's edition of SmackDown. And that will be a live show for all patrons. So subscribe and you can get that one uh, both on the live feed as well as on the Patreon feed after the fact. And then on Saturday, we have Nate Milton returning for the Rocky Maivia picture show where he will be looking at Fast and the Furious 6, I believe. Yes, Fast and the Furious 6. And joining him will be his friends from the Too Fast, Too Forever podcast. Yes. Uh, so look forward to that. I, I I give these guys all the credit in the world, uh, given their podcast and then their guests to go talk about one of these films as well. I mean, if I had to pick an expert, I think I would pick those two. People these guys have to be the most well-versed Fast and Furious connoisseurs in the world. They must be. Only here at postwrestling.com on Saturday. Check that out. The Rocky Maivia Picture Show. Okay. We now shipped on over to AEW Dynamite, a taped episode from Daly's Place. And we had the return of Tony Schiavone off the top with Jim Ross and Excalibur. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as they mentioned last week, it seemed like Tony had uh, delays in getting the, the results from his COVID test. And the next day when they taped this episode, it seemed all was well. Cody and Arn Anderson are already in the ring. And the open challenge is answered by Eddie Kingston, who comes out and yep. cuts a... Go ahead. Well, the, the, this week's challenge came with a lot of buzz following the tapings. You had John Moxley essentially promoting it in an interview that he did during the week. So expectations were really high. Uh, at some point, I they had admitted that it was going to be somebody off roster that was going to make their debut. Mm -hmm. And they delivered. I mean, Eddie Kingston is like one of the hottest acts. And I mean, was one of the hottest acts in the Indies, but most recently seen in both Impact and NWA Power uh, and making his what you you know, we don't know if he signed full time or not. But, um, you know, coming off of like a featured performance like this. If ever there was an audition oh, man. where a guy killed it. Um, yeah, man, this guy, uh, th this promo, he came out and he just ran down Cody and threatened to knock him out and took exception to Cody and his grinding. 
Kingston said, I grew up among alcoholics and junkies, and I had to survive. That's grinding. You couldn't last a day in my shoes, and you've only faced children during this open challenge. Now you're facing a grown man. I'll put you in the ground and smile doing it. And he swears on his beautiful mother's smile. He'll gouge Arn's eyes out. And Cody, you're either an egg-sucking dog or you're an egg-sucking bitch. And Cody, uh, they get word from Tony Khan that this will be made into a no-disqualification match for the TNT Championship. But um, Kingston came out, and man, this guy hit it out of the park with this promo. Absolutely. I mean, you know, these TNT Open Challenges have really been a way for us to be introduced to either um, members of the roster who haven't had that TV time, like a Sunny Kiss, or in some cases, like a Ricky Starks, or in this case, Eddie Kingston, people off roster who have a lot of potential to be full-time members of AEW. And this was certainly, I would say, maybe the most high-profile like debut we've had as part of one of these Open Challenges. And as part of it, I mean, you get to see Cody really kind of have to adapt to like the featured star style. And in this one, they centered, they geared the whole opening of the show around Eddie Kingston and what he does best. Cody didn't even get an entrance. Instead, they saved that time to allow Eddie Kingston to do his high spot, which is his talking. And he, he talked like he showcased his best shit. Like it was like an adult style of promo leading into an adult style of match. Early on, they go to the floor and Kingston whips him with the weightlifting belt and Kingston starts favoring his left knee and he would sell this for the whole match. Uh, you believe this guy had like his knee was out. He sold this thing for the entire match and even after the match, like it was like he was on one leg. Mm -hmm. um, they brought up this story on commentary. Excalibur noted that Eddie Kingston had to sell his boots in order to pay his mortgage during the pandemic. And he had to go buy new boots yesterday after he got this call. So, I mean, you as the viewer at home could not help but be rooting for this guy. What does it also say about like <laughs> the places that he was working with prior? I mean, listen, this is going to be the reality for a lot yeah. of independent talent. Uh, that we are not seeing the real life effects of this pandemic for so many that we're probably just scratching to get by at the best of times and have not had bookings in how many months. I'm sure there are a lot of talent that are financially struggling. And I'm sure that there's going to be some that uh, might not come back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, most recently we saw Eddie Kingston in NWA and obviously they aren't running shows and, you know, it doesn't obviously seem like he is, was one of the, you know, contracted proper talents to NWA, but it also tells you that a lot of those talents that you saw on that show are probably like, you know, free agents right now. There's a back body drop on the floor. Cody then kicks at the knee and he applies the stretch plum. Um, sorry, this is Kingston applying the stretch plum that they link back to Toshiaki Kawada with Excalibur explaining the inventor of the stretch plum and Kingston's influence as he is in his, his black and yellow, black and yellow color scheme. Yep. Which makes me dub this match. Kings Rhodes. Ooh. Very nice. Excellent. I was proud, proud of that one. 
Cody chop blocks the knee and Kingston is just selling it for all it's worth here, but then nails Cody with a low blow uh, as it was a ploy. And Kingston goes under the ring and pours thumbtacks on the mat. Cody stops him. He goes for Din's fire. It's countered, and Cody takes a power bomb onto the tax. Arn Anderson is having an out of body experience. <laughs> what have I put my client into here? And they cut to the crowd. And the talent are all horrified at this. And Hikaru Shida just yells, Cody, while she looks horrified watching on. She she gave great reactions all night. There's a backdrop suplex and Cody just pops up and fires back at Kingston. Kingston is blocking the figure four. They trade big slaps and then Cody locks on the figure four, forcing Kingston to tap. And they put it over as Cody's toughest test to date. Kingston is on the floor. He is furious and knocks the camera away. He doesn't want to be shot as he's really selling this defeat and can't even stand on his way up the ramp to the back, uh, selling the knee. Um, I thought this was like a really outstanding performance from Eddie Kingston. It was a very different style of match for Cody that this championship really puts a focus on the versatility and what a way to start the show. I just thought this was, um, this was tailor made for Eddie Kingston to really shine. And I thought he totally just ran with it. Absolutely. I mean, I thought everybody won here, you know, obviously Eddie Kingston, like has he wrestled in front of a bigger TV audience than this before? I mean, he's been on, um, you know, on, on not on national TV. Um, so, I mean, you might consider this, he might consider this the biggest, most important match of his career. It was like 15 minutes of an opening of a primetime show on a Wednesday night on TNT, de- dedicated essentially to his introduction. And he he took that opportunity and definitely made the most of it delivered a great promo that was very different from i think the type of promo that you even see on dynamite and he had a match complete with thumbtacks that man like just shows you that this isn't just your pg level of hardcore wrestler this isn't just you know a wwe backstage kind of like 24 7 type of comp like hardcore deal this is very different um it it, like you said, it shows Cody's versatility. He gained a whole lot from something like this. It took his aggression to a whole nother level by that finish. And it made this open challenge for the TNT title thing. Like, yet again, you know, one, one of the most, if not the most talked about thing as a part of AEW Dynamite. It's something they promote every single week now. And it's something I'm looking forward to every single week because they've all delivered in terms of at least buzz, if not straight up like good wrestling and good entertainment. Yeah, I mean, the major thing was just they gave so much to Kingston here, like his opportunity to get over. Like, I mean, he's, you know, he's he's been on Ring of Honors TV. He's been on Impact. But I would say nothing to this degree where it was like so, like he got promo time. He got thumbtacks. He got, like, he was... They aimed to make him the star of this by by the end of it. Um, it was not just like, here's your run-of-the-mill opponent. Like They gave this guy every opportunity to leave a lasting impression, and I think he made the most of everything that was given to him. I can't see them not signing him coming off of this. Um, you know, he was portrayed like a star, and he came across like one. So uh, I think he would fit great into this division. I'm already salivating at the idea of a Moxley-Kingston match. Even something like an Omega Kingston, like Paige Kingston, like like go down the list. All these matches, I think, you know, could 
headline a dynamite if not even one of their smaller level shows so um you know like when they did announce that they were going to have somebody off roster to debut i think a lot of people expected okay was it would it be one of the wwe guys that like got recently released the fact that it wasn't um and instead was somebody not uh who never spent any time in the wwe um and you know was able to generate at least from you and i john like a level of positive like reaction like we're we're discussing right now and i'm assuming probably from our our audience um on the board at least tells you that they definitely acknowledge that their fan base um much of them are diehards who are familiar with the scene familiar with people who aren't just in wwe probably want to see people who just aren't you know castaways from the wwe and if they aren't people who are familiar with somebody like eddie kingston i think the expectation they seem to have is that they're at least hoping that audience is open-minded enough to give new talents a chance. I'm curious what that, like the the legal um, interpretation of that would be. Like this was taped last week, so that would predate the 90-day uh, clauses expiring, but it airs today. Hmm. Like I, I think like you could, I would not want to test that theory if I was a, or the performer, but um, I think you can also make a legal argument that, are they violating a clause that they're on a closed set uh, performing for something that would not be airing until after the 90 day period is over? Yeah, that's a good question. They did not uh, deem it necessary to try and answer it, but now it's a complete open door as to where they go. And after this, um, they also had Kingston. He did a, a promo on their social media and this was a great promo afterwards, too. He said, in this life, you never lose, you learn. And tonight, he learned that Cody Beep was the better man. Yeah, why did they censor Rhodes? Because they can't say Cody Rhodes. I thought he could. I thought he owned it now. Uh, he, he doesn't. I don't think he does. Oh, okay. That, um, he says he's been doing this a long time, and he has nothing else in this life he loves doing. He's going to keep going until the wheels fall off because he has nothing else and he chose to have nothing else but this. And he just has to end the interview. He's just devastated by this. And then Arn did a promo and says that tonight Eddie Kingston showed that behind that big mouth, he's all man. And he wasn't familiar with this guy. And <laughs> Arn dropped multiple roads that had to be censored during this one and said it was an old school brawl. Cody was able to show that side of him. And next week, I don't want to give away the opponent, but we go to war. And I would suggest that this is probably going to be Warhorse, who they teased a few weeks ago on Road to. So Cody tried to apply for the trademark recently, but WWE ended up renewing it after it mm -hmm. expired. So yeah, he is um, still cannot go by Cody Rhodes. Mm -hmm. Ross comes back and says it was a tacky start to this week's show. Huh. <laughs> Jim Ross was in rare form tonight. He also put, uh, he called a Tope Suicida in that opening match, and he went a 20 on the 1 to 10 scale. He was very excited to call his first Tope Suicida. Awesome. Moxley does a promo. He told Taz he would try and rip Cage's arm in two, and he was feeling the tendons and ligaments snapping. And Cage was close to six months more of rehab and painkillers. And Taz made the right call. Next time, Moxley isn't going to let go. 
I thought it was a nice little reminder of like the champion's big win last week, and Moxley didn't really have any. Oh, I guess he did come in for a run in, but um, this gave him you know a bigger presence on the show. Mm-hmm. And keeping the two somewhat tied together, Cage and Moxley. MJF with Wardlow versus Griff Garrison. MJF tells everyone to shut up. Mox Griff for looking jacked and tanned, but he's a prodigy, and he asks him, "Tell me about you, Jungle Man." He says, "I'm Griff Garrison." MJF makes fun of him, and Griff mentions MJF's loss at Fighter Fest when MJF says he's undefeated. So the match begins with him attacking Garrison, and we get the tee up for the secret hashtag coming up in the picture for picture. And we're told you're not going to miss anything unless you're in Canada. No picture in picture this week, unfortunately. We got no picture in picture, none tonight for us. Yeah. We're all shut out. Garrison was run into the post. MJF gets onto the mic during the match saying we got off on the wrong foot. He hasn't been pinned or submitted, so therefore he's undefeated. And he tells Garrison to tell the people he's undefeated. Garrison swats the microphone away. So MJF stomps on his hand until he makes Garrison say he's undefeated. But then Garrison knocks the mic away and gets a roll up for a two count before MJF hits the heat seeker, the pile driver with him draped on the middle rope and pins Griff Garrison in 515. I'm only familiar with Griff Garrison because he's he's been used as like sort of like the the doppelganger to Jungle Boy on BTE. Uh but I was really impressed with him here. You know, um I thought he played a role that um gave him a he's lot got, to He's do. got a Tom McGee like look to him. Uh sure, yeah, yeah. He's got the stature. Yep, absolutely. And like I thought like as far as, you know, getting the right emotion out of MJF, he was great. But MJF, I like that he's continuing to, to call himself undefeated, and it allows like baby faces and eventually audiences who are going to basically remind him that hey, technically you're not really un- undefeated. Like the way MJF sold that, he sold it like it was the biggest insult you could ever say to the guy. And it's the first time we've seen MJF lose his temper this way, at least in AEW. To me, it unlocked a new level of intensity within him in a match like this. And, you know, it's like one of those things now where you can like audiences will, will have a lot of fun or baby faces will have, you know, a, a lot of fun to to get under his skin with. Tony Schiavone interviewed Rebel to get an update on Britt Baker. And right as Rebel was going to clarify what her name is, Baker screams from inside the room and we go inside. Baker recaps Sheeta busting her nose and they had photos of her nose surgery very graphic no oh, yeah surgeries don't yeah they're never fun she said she is set for the biggest comeback ever comparing herself to tiger woods rocky balboa against ivan drago in rocky four as she just spoiled months of our movie reviews <laughs> and michael jordan with the wizards and they point out Michael Jordan never made a comeback with the Wizards. And Baker... A good comeback, I guess. Well, the better comeback was Baker's here, who tells Tony, why are you being such an asshole, Tony? (laughs) Great line. And Reba mentions that she's watched Space Jam 20 times, and Baker says, I am the Michael Jordan, and don't count me out at all out. Yeah, so announcing her return, um, or at least her return potential return date at All Out, she seemed pretty confident about the biggest it. Biggest comeback ever. 
Biggest comeback ever, yeah. On the level of Jordan to the Wizards. Uh, so we shall see. It's been a while since we've had like one of these dedicated Britt Baker segments, and I've certainly missed them. This was far from her best, but I still really enjoyed it. I think I just really enjoyed the character and like the combination of Reba with Tony. Um, it's it's always you know welcome to get more. Taz and Brian Cage came out. They said they had a difficult week last week, and Cage almost fired Taz. He said the reason he threw the t- the towel in was it was a business decision. He put over John Moxley's armbar and said that. Moxley did what he said he would do, and he is not going to allow Cage to tear his biceps a second time. Cage will never find himself in that same position again. Cage never would have tapped out. That's why he's the FTW champion. And then Darby Allen interrupts them. He's coming to the ring when he gets jumped from behind by Ricky Starks, and they had been teasing this alliance with Taz and Starks, and then they shot the angle on Dark on Tuesday night where the two laid out Darby Allen together. Um, Cage then powerbombs Allen on the stage and then into the ring. They get the skateboard, and they're preparing to attack Allen with it when John Moxley comes through the crowd, clears the ring with a barbed wire bat, and comes to the aid of Darby Allen. You know, like Taz could have come out here and just like laughed off the loss to Moxley or just not even mentioned it. But instead, I thought he handled it really well. He did a very good job here rebuilding Cage for, from the loss by explaining, uh, reminding us that he didn't tap. And so I guess the FCW belt can't change due to um, uh, manager's uh, forfeit. Um, but, you know, more importantly, he did not diminish John Moxley's win in any way. In fact, he bolstered Moxley's accomplishment, put the guy over, and continues to establish that that relationship between Moxley and Allen in this segment, which I absolutely love. They've got like a you know kind of like a big brother little brother thing that I think will ultimately help both of them and as they progress, elevates Ricky Starks Starks into that big role. He's Taz's next recruit, and he's sort of like you know the speedier counterpart to Brian Cage in their faction. I really hope. Starks isn't just like going to be a fall guy. You know, I hope he's mm. not just like Austin Theory to, the, you know, or Buddy Murphy at this point to like to the, hit their Seth Rollins because Starks on his own, I think, you know, um, has a, a great deal to offer. And if he could be sort of like a 1B to like, you know, Cage's 1A and both of them be kept strong, I, I would be really happy to see it. But it's a big role for Starks. And I'm, I, I think he, he is more than like capable of like delivering. Sign me up for this tag match next week. Next week, there's so much talent, so much great potential for like good promos, good storytelling with the four here, five. Yeah, it's gonna be a tornado tag, so it's just gonna be a wild brawl with these four. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested to see how Starks kind of uh, weaves himself in there because he is mm-hmm. the the newest uh, recruit of you know uh, of Taz's group and the newest guy to the company that I think you want to uh, showcase here with the his first dynamite match since uh, the Cody match. It's a great role for him. They announced that this summer they're going to hold a women's tag tournament consisting of eight teams that they're promoting as the Deadly Draw and this seems to be their version of Lethal Lottery where the women will have to I guess pick their partner at random and we'll get this tournament throughout the summer. I love this idea. I mean, I, I'm I'm a fan of tournaments, period, but especially for newly developing divisions that, you know, lack in identity and focus, which I think the current AEW women's division certainly qualifies as. It'll be a great way to establish a lot of the new talents who haven't had time for stories or matches. Um, and judging by the promo, it seems like Diamante already 
I mean, she's. It feels like she's already signed. Like she's had multiple matches in AEW. She's in their mm. promos. So, uh, does we, this does this almost does this necessitate tag titles? I was gonna say I don't have a. I don't know. We don't know about that. We don't know if it'll just be a cup. Does it necessitate tag titles? I mean, uh, okay. The goal would be to have some alliances coming out of this, and yeah. it it's like the building of a division. So. I can't imagine just doing a cup and then not like what's the purpose of tag matches beyond that? I, I think, you know, I think you could definitely like justify it as long as the roster is big enough. Um, yeah. And, and with, you know, 18, there's, there's a lot of titles in this company. Yeah. But with 16 women, like I think you might be at that point where you would be able to justify it. And again, you can bring in new talent week to week if they're available. Well, this is going to you're going to have to draw from outside talent because mm-hmm. I mean, we have, we went over the the available names last week like they they do not have 16 women. I don't know if they have half that right now that are available contracted females. Well, yeah, uh, you know, but they did announce uh, Nyla is a part of this. Um, I mean, if you go up and down the roster of the people that are associated, I, I feel like we could create 16 names but are they 16 well-known names that that might be a different question like i guess we have nyla ford sheeta ali and brandy mm-hmm. um diamante and potentially ivalice yep um the uh the latest signee i forget her name um uh what what's her name the librarian uh yeah leva uh, bates leva bates um ew signs um the brunette that they signed recently you know the one with like the the, the one oh, that yeah. Dark Order was gonna like. What happened with that? Well, they've got yeah, yeah. Ky- Kylan King is in there as well. I mean, some of the women that have worked Dark uh, Swole should be back soon, I guess. Yep. Um, you know, I mean, you can fill them out. You you could even put Rebel in this, I guess. Sure. Um, Baker Baker won't be available. I mean, you know, MJ Jenkins had a match last week. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like they could find sixteen people, no problem. But it's just a, a matter of how many. How many of them will stick around? How many of them are going to get uh, focused, you know, personalities and storylines? And they don't all have to. Some of these will just be like first rounders, you know, brief profile mm-hmm. about them and then they're out. Uh, the goal, hopefully, at the end of it, though, is that you, see, you have like a handful of stars that you elevate and, and give personalities and storylines to. Marvez interviewed the inner circle. Jericho is really putting over his $7,000 jacket that was white, but now it's orange. He's continuing to wear this orange juice stained jacket yeah it looked disgusting on bte this week they actually went behind the scenes and and showed you like the rigging of the orange uh juice like device very impressive and then even more impressive than that was like it was the backup plan the the backup plan uh jericho said the original idea was to do the kurt angle milk truck idea with like um a truck full of orange juice and instead it, i guess the logistics at daily's place made that too difficult so they I, I think the visual of what they did was way better than to me the the truck coming in it's so wwf yeah that i like that AEW had their spin on like granted this is kind of the bloodbath scene but i thought it was more um i, I like the, I, I just think like the the different angles that they had and the visual I think it was way better. What they did was perfect. And, uh, you know, I was going to say what's even more impressive is the cleanup afterwards. Cause they, oh, that, that was nuts. They had a commercial break to clear the whole thing. Yeah. And I like, was the show live last week? 
Did they Last week it was. Yes. Okay. Wow. Um, I mean, if there was a week to tape, I, I guess it would have been if you're going to attempt a stunt like that. But I mean, this crew was on top of it and you saw it in real time on the Cutler cam where it was just like in seconds, you know, took that thing off. There was a tarp underneath. So the bottom didn't, didn't get soaked and they, they even received a round of applause afterwards. So, uh, very impressive. That was way more impressive than any of those like baseball games. You'll go in the fifth inning, they come out to like change the bases and stuff. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's impressive. Like you clap because they're doing, they're going so fast. But to me, I mean, th- these guys went above and beyond. Mm-hmm. The young bucks, uh, or oh, sorry, they ran down, uh, Jurassic express. Um, Jericho just insulted all of them. And at the end, Jericho asked Santana, do I still smell like orange juice? Santana said, yes. Jericho said, damn it. And walked off. The Young Bucks, they want to start the Falls Count Anywhere match backstage, so they find the Butcher and the Blade in the kitchen, and they wash their hands first before the match, so there was not going to be uh, any salmonella poisoning in this match. I mean, there ended up being, um, like, they ended up rubbing each other's faces in this raw meat anyway, so, um, you know, still good practice. You know, from a professional butcher to wash your hands. That's nice to see. We saw the first ever gut wrench powerbomb delivered to a man onto a metal meat cutting table. As Nick got dropped onto this and then Matt got double suplexed onto another one. These looked uh, like so much fun to take. Oh, man. It dented one of these like big kitchen tables. Um, Salmonella all over these tables, too, I'm sure. So, yeah, extra damage. I could only imagine, like, if this, if Daly's place was like regularly in operations right now, and they'd come in and be like, "Yeah, the the, the wrestling guys were in here last night." Oh, There's it's a- to- Tony's friends, like you know, goofing yeah, around. Two less tables <laughs> to cut meat on. Here's the wooden one. Um, they go outside to the concourse. This included a butcher running blade in this metal trolley, missing the bucks and running him into a pillar. Nick took a lawn dart into the production truck, which was right. uh, The door had his photo on it. Mm -hmm. And then Matt ran out of the back of a truck with a somersault dive. This thing was a insane spectacle. You know, like very much like the stadium stampede and, and the prior false count anywhere match that preceded that one. Like they, they've been really creative with their use of the false count anywhere stipulation and the ability to just like do whatever they want with any objects that they want in this daily's place slash, you know, stadium setting. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun to watch them like think of like new inventive breathtaking spots. Uh, Matt ended up with a bloody nose, which is amazing. That was the, uh, the extent of it. Um, they did a double team on the butcher with the sharpshooter crossface combo, but that got broken up by the blade. Uh, they hit Nick with a powerbomb neckbreaker combo on the stage, and they make their way to the entrances right by the two tunnels. And two tables are set up uh, just in front of each tunnel. Butcher and Blade get knocked into each other, and then they take multiple super kicks, and Blade and Butcher are each placed on a table uh, after being hit with the BTE trigger. Yeah, so the, uh, that's what they're calling that. Uh, yes. Okay. The blade... Uh, uh, so they're set up on the table. Matt goes on top of one tunnel, and Nick goes on top of the other. And Matt comes off with the elbow drop, Nick with a swanton. And I was so glad they that they replayed this, because they tried to do like a wide-angle shot to get both, and you really didn't get to see Nick's 
the, the impressiveness of this dive. Yeah. Uh, you got to see Matt's elbow, but it was just like they were too far apart for the shot. But they had plenty of replays of Nick Swanton, which was the more impressive dive. Um, and they get the double pin. They, this went 16 minutes, six seconds of TV time. Um, just like a nonstop spectacle this was. Like this would have been a match that people would have been losing their minds for uh, live. Absolutely. And, you know, at home, I was losing my mind over it, too. Like, this was, it was a, really impressive. An amazing match. And um, and not just for the Bucks. Like, Butcher and Blade yep. were, like, great, like, Absolutely. foils for these two. And, like, I, yeah. I thought they th- – these two do not get uh, enough, like, credit. Like, they are great bases for, like, this type of um, – like, these types of, like, flying matches and just being – and making it like a real entertaining brawl. I absolutely agree. Like, you know, we know how great the Bucks are, but to me, Butcher and the Blade really continue to be showing off how underrated they are over the past several weeks. Um, Butcher, of course, is going to get all the attention because of his size, and he is fantastic. Like, he, 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 he's somebody who's not afraid to get hurt. He's somebody who's not afraid to, um, I guess, you know, work a fast-paced style along with, like, a bunch of cruiserweights. And he fits in really well. Blade deserves just as much credit. I think both guys are fantastic. Um, I love the way they dress. To me, they are the best dressed in AEW. Uh, they wash their hands after cutting meat, so uh, respect uh, for uh, hygiene. Um, but great match, you know. I usually hate Falls Count Anywhere types of matches, but anytime I've seen them in AEW thus far, they proved to me, maybe with the exception of like you know a Moxley Hager, which I wasn't bad, but like. When the Bucks and the, Kenny and like the elite are involved in, you know, with with the inner circle, they there's an element of fun to them and creativity to them that have just been like highlights of, you know, this pandemic era when it comes to these types of matches. A lot of creative spots throughout this entire thing, a lot of sight gags and a great finish here with double double dives off the stage. Marvez interviewed Jake Roberts and Lance Archer. Archer takes Marvez into the locker room and he just destroys all of these uh, enhancement guys in the locker room as Jake calmly explains that they're tired of sitting around like unused furniture. And it ends with Archer taking one of these dudes and dumping them upside down in a trash bin. This was amazing. Like this was like only (laughs) like what? I don't know, 40 seconds long, but it was like, if that, but it was like, (laughs) as Jake is continuing to cut his promo that you hear in the background, you're seeing Archer just like go through a blitz, to, like throwing these poor jobbers into every which direction, including into the ceiling, <laughs> like, like a cartoon. Like it was like visually like this would like you could have this on mute and this would grab your attention from just the, the just the, these guys flying around all over the place for this guy. Yeah, it's like a tornado hit this locker room. Oh man, if we're talking like you know, great kind of like comic book cartoon level types of like mean bad guys, I think Archer does such a great job of playing that in like making a real life version of that monster like come to life. It's uh, yeah, this was a lot of fun, and he's right. Like I haven't even realized, but he has been pretty underutilized lately. I mean, all the baby faces are kind of caught like you know taken up with with a whole lot of other things. I mean, Brian Cage is, is somebody that they're trying to newly establish, which. Archer was kind of formally in that role, but absolutely, I think it's time to to get the get him back into the mix. And it must have been hot as hell because Jake was Friend. sweating yeah. through that shirt. That was going to be joining that guy in the trash can. Sonny Kiss talked about it on a uh, Talk Is Jericho, yeah, about just how how humid and, and hot um, everything was. I bet. Uh, Diamante Ivelisse, 
Uh, they showed Hikaru Shida watching in the front row. And then they had an insert message here from Big Swole, who's on suspension. She said, actions have consequences. And in Swole's world, she gives out the consequences. And Britt Baker's fragile ass will have to meet her in the ring. Uh, it seemed like a, an odd place to put this because this had no relevance to the match in the ring. But I guess this was where they felt it was the one place to insert it. Yeah, I, I don't know what the original promo might have looked like, but they it, they seem like they had to trim this down quite a bit in order to try to just even fit into this space. It seemed like it was missing a bit of an intro and a bit of an outro. And as a result, didn't really make an impression on me, unfortunately. So probably just bad placement. I mean, you couldn't have really put it into the, the Baker segment, you know. So this seemed like the only place, but even then it didn't really fit very, very well. Ivelisse tried to kind of uh, bully Diamante and intimidate her. They went to the uh, they went to the floor, and she was sent into the guardrail by Diamante. Back into the ring, Ivelisse continues to get into her face. They traded chops, they traded slaps, then they traded head kicks. To which Jim Ross asked, "Are we sure they aren't from Idaho?" And Ivelisse then runs the ropes and gets caught with a small package out of nowhere, and Diamante catches her. And that's kind of how they played it up, that Ivelisse was controlling this match, but she got caught for three seconds, and Diamante won, uh, pointing to her head that she outsmarted Ivelisse. You know, it's a pretty unique like thing to, to have two unknowns, or at least two people who have yet to make their debuts on Dynamite. Just have a match out here. Um, and and without any kind of profile piece either mm-hmm. or to, to set the stage for them. Like even, you know, I'm sure you could like take for granted that a lot of people know Eddie Kingston. But they gave this promo that, okay, there may be a large percentage of people who don't know who Eddie Kingston is. You'll at least have a reaction to this guy based on these 60 seconds that give you a reason to want to see him either take out Cody or Cody kick his ass. That's right, yeah. So you didn't really have that with either either of them here, but you know, nonetheless, if you are familiar with both of them, I I think you would have gone into this with a good good level of interest, and I certainly was. I was, you know, I I mean, I look at all these matches as sort of like their auditions, and coming out of it, did they make a big enough enough impression to make me want to see them again? I thought the match was okay. I didn't think it was great. Um, yeah. you know. But I didn't need it to be technically amazing either. I, I, I was more so looking for personality and was enough done to establish that. Uh, if I had to pick the, between the two, I honestly felt like Valise made the bigger impression. I think she showed a bit more uh, in terms of just like charisma and just uh, personality. But she also did get to play the heel. So that probably played a bit of a factor as well. Uh, but, you know, considering the level of this division right now, I think AEW could probably use both of them. Yeah, a- average match. They didn't go long enough that they were, were hamstrung by having a commercial break in the middle of that. I think that would have really hurt this this match to if they had had it broken up. But they got they got six and a half minutes uninterrupted as well, so they did have time. Um, I-, I thought it was a decent match. I wouldn't go much beyond that. Allen Angels, aka Five, versus At- Hangman Page. They call him Allen Five Angels. Which- Allen Five Angels. Yeah, sounds amusing. It's a terrible, terrible name. Mm. They also did a close-up of his uh, his tattoos, and it looks like he's got the Old Spice logo on his pectoral. Wow, okay. Like the ship. Um, Hangman has such great charisma. Like, a ton of just um, presence uh, to him here. Um, and this was, like... <laughs> 
This was like eight minutes of Paige pretty much just destroying this dude. Like, he out-chopped him. He dropped him with a boot. Then he sent him off the apron with a boot. Then he ran five into the guardrail. Uh, the Dark Order come out to watch this. The numbers do not affect the momentum here for Paige, uh, who's in full control. Hits a full fall-away slam. Kip up. Rolling elbow. Powerbomb. And he pins Allen five angels in eight minutes. Uh... You know, match was good uh, as far as you know an exhibition. I like. I would almost even consider this a bit of a jobber match. Like as far as that goes, uh, it was it was entertaining, but uh, it really was just a setup for the post match. I mean, Angels is very clearly talented. I think almost everybody in this who signed to AEW is, but this is not a role that really you know allows you anybody to watch him to want to see him get pushed. He's just a generic Dark Order guy. Yeah, he's a um, putty patrol. Exactly, it's pretty much the role. Yeah, I, th- I thought for like eight minutes, it's like kind of kind of a lot for like such a um, one sided match. Um, with but the nonetheless, yeah, that's with the commercial in there. So, uh, Dark Order is upset as Paige stares them down in the ring. Brody Lee takes Colt Cabana and walks him to the back as uh, Lee is. Sorry, sorry. Lee and Cabana walk out to join Dark Order. Uh, that's what happens first. And Lee tells Paige he's impressed with him and his rise to stardom, but not by his lack of friends and tag partner when he's in immediate danger. The Dark Order can protect Paige. They'll never leave him alone at a bar or in the ring. But Paige isn't sure he wants to join a cult right now. And Lee does not appreciate that choice of words and tells Paige he's made his bed walks away. This is where he takes Cabana to the back and leaves the rest of them to jump Paige, but it's FTR running down with a cooler of beer, attacking Dark Order. They clear the ring, and then Kenny Omega arrives, but he's too late because FTR's already saved Paige, who shakes hands with uh, Wheeler and Harwood, and they share a beer together. Interesting story they're telling of, like FTR being better partners to Paige than than Kenny. Uh, And let me just say, I hope every week we get a scene of FTR rushing down the ramp with the cooler full of beers that they'll smash into their opponents. That was such a satisfying, like, ridiculous thing. They nailed them with this this cooler. It was like a styrofoam cooler, so the whole thing, like, smashed in pieces. It was awesome. Um, so, you know, all that was great, what they're doing with uh, FTR and, and, and Paige and Kenny. But I don't really care, like, about all that because what I consider the main event of all this, what they're really setting up with all this, and what is the most important, is to see how Reynolds and Silver are going to take the blame for all of this from <laughs> Mr. Brody next week on BTE. Because you know they walked into the back, and Mr. Brody had, had probably had stacks and stacks of papers ready just for those two to single out. Yeah, it really was unfortunate that Brody Lee couldn't have just told Paige, listen, you little fuck. <laughs> next week on the show... They announced Omega and Page against Evil Uno and Stu Grayson for the tag titles. I think that's going to be a really good match. Oh my god, yeah! Like I saw Grayson and Uno like up there, and I, I realized, man, we haven't seen these guys wrestle in quite a while. Uh, so uh, I, that that sounds awesome. I mean, tag titles though, that they that they really do much to to earn that shot. Are they? Is there a ranking? Uh, there are rankings somewhere. I looked this up. They also announced uh, Hikaru Shida versus Diamante, but they did, they did not label that a women's title match, so that is likely non-title. 
Moxley and Allen against Brian Cage and Ricky Starks in a tornado tag match and Cody's latest open challenge. Uh, that's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see it. I mean, the, the show is obviously, uh, you know, going to be live next week, so we don't know who, that, who it'll be, but um, the standard they've set is really good. Okay, so it looks like Grayson and Uno are actually the number one ranked. Okay, so they've there you got, go. It all ties in. They've got a seven and zero record. Seven and zero. Where have they been having all these matches? Dark. I guess dark. I mean, their twenty twenty tag record. So seven and zero. Yeah, that is really impressive. Main event was Jericho and Jake Hager against Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy going up against Karrion Cross and Dominic Dijakovic on NXT. Jake Hager was also wearing these new trunks um, with the Venom sponsor on them, and that's notable because. Venom is going to be replacing Reebok as the UFC's apparel sponsor next April. So this may have just been uh, a coincidence nonetheless, but here was a Bellator fighter wearing what's going to be the UFC's main apparel sponsor. Oh, interesting. You think you think Bellator will ban Venom? Um, are you saying that maybe Edge has taught them the anti-Venom? I'm not saying that. Okay. You, you could say that. Hager and Luchasaurus had this big striking exchange, and they hey, just hey, but, hey before that, I don't know how long they've been doing this, but Jurassic Express when they come out, they do the Sean Diesel pose, but with all three of them going from like shortest to tallest. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think it's great. Um, there was something here resembling a clothesline. It looked like these two just like ran into each other, and it just looked like a car crash. Um, we saw a choke slam counter into an ankle lock by Hager, and this is where they work on Luchasaurus's right angle, uh, right ankle for a time until Jungle Boy gets tagged in and sends Hager off the apron with a Rana onto Jericho for a two count. Marco Stunt gets involved, and Jericho eventually punches him off the apron. They go to a commercial, they come back, and Stunt is still selling this this punch, this death punch that Jericho laid on Marco. Uh, this would have been a picture-in-picture picture one, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, Jungle Boy hits this high cross. Then he's cut off by Jericho, and they just cut the ring in half, beating down on Jungle Boy. Jericho brings in the bat, but Edwards forces him to drop it to the floor. And Jungle Boy comes back, double DDT, fights to tag in Luchasaurus. And then Santana appears on the apron and takes a running Hurricane Rana from Jungle Boy, sending him onto Ortiz on the floor. That was a, a great sequence. And then Serpentico... Runs into the ring, nailing Luchasaurus with the bat. This sets up the code breaker finish by Jericho, pinning Luchasaurus at 16.57. Serpentico helps Inner Circle, including hitting a shooting star press onto Luchasaurus and unmasks to reveal the returning Sammy Guevara. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh... What, what did you think about the timing of Guevara's uh, return? Do you feel that this was... Uh, the, the right time to end the suspension. Did you feel it was sufficient? How long had it been? It was, he missed, well, this was done last week. So it would have been three weeks without pay. He would have been suspended for. He missed three episodes. Um, I mean, th- I think that that's going to, to, to vary depending on the person. Um, Me personally. As soon as I saw this guy unmasked, I knew it was going to be um a debate among people. Yeah. It's going to be argued like that it wasn't long enough that he's paid his 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 penalty. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I don't people know. are going to have different 
different conclusions to it. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what the right answer is. It, like, you know, let's put a poll up and see what people think. Um, but yeah, they they set this up for a big return. Um, I thought the match was really good. It, it just, I guess, for me, like by the end at, at, of the second hour, I don't know if this like you know ever lived up to for me the standard that was already set prior on the show by Bucks and and uh, Butcher and the Blade for just like level of excitement i would say really more more so for the second hour of the show like first hour i absolutely loved you had kingston you had uh the bucks and uh, butcher and the blade but then like second hour definitely lost some energy for me yeah uh, main event was was very good but i don't know if i ended the show on like sort of that peak um do you feel jericho will still be undefeated in this uh with this final segment against uh cross and dijakovic Oh, uh, cross and die, die Jack. Let me see. I think yes. I think after last week's NXT number, I think it's going to take a long time for NXT to be able to uh, to unseat them, especially with their a Jericho segment. So I, I feel his his run is going to continue here. Um, and then Orange Cassidy and the best friends came out at the end to run off the inner circle, and that sets up the. Uh, the latest match for next week, a five-on-five five match with the Inner Circle, complete with Sammy Guevara, taking on Best Friends, Orange Cassidy, Luchasaurus, and Jungle Boy, as the Inner Circle posed with their middle fingers to close the show. I'm looking forward to that match. It's another, you know, fairly strong lineup next week, where you've got uh, a tag title match, you've got Cody's Challenge, and you've got, like, you've got all your big names wrestling next week. You have Jericho, Cody, Moxley... And Omega, um, the only ones you don't have are like the Bucks, but that's pretty strong when you have that that many of your your big big names uh, wrestling on free television. Yeah, yeah, and again, like we have a pretty much like full card, like five matches. I'm sure there's going to going to be a bit more, but five things for people to to look forward to, and um, it shows confidence like in 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 their uh, matchmaking. That would be something I would 100 percent try on Raw when possible. Mm-hmm. Not saying the whole card for a three-hour show, like, that's a little tough, but I think having at least, like, three to four matches deep that you can promote for a week across all your platforms and and build towards a Monday. I, I think that makes a big deal having going off the show, knowing what's coming next week, and I've, I've grown to really appreciate the fact that AEW consistently does that, and the whole week you know what's in store for the next week, and you have an idea of, like, what the, the lineup's going to be. I, it makes, even compared to NXT, like, it makes it really easy for you to, I don't know what I'm necessarily getting on NXT beyond, you know, their one big match, maybe two, versus an entire card on AEW. And for some, that's a way to really establish a viewing pattern that you know what you're getting and you're not going to adjust your viewing. I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, on top of it, though, I would say maybe it's a little bit different in this case because I know with all of these matches that AEW just announced, we're probably going to get clean finishes, if not like, you know, just at least a proper winner and a loser. Yep. Um, I, you know, even if Raw were to announce like a full card for next week, I probably would get excited for some of these matches. But for half of them, I, if I was interested in them, I'd probably say, well, we'll probably get a screwy finish there so that they could build up for the next week or save it for a pay-per-view or something like that. So it, 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 I mean, it's a bigger issue, but that, yeah, announcing you know more matches in advance would definitely be like, uh, a, 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 you know, inch towards the right direction. Um, 
I-, I thought this was a pretty good episode of Dynamite. I was with you. I think like it was a really, really solid hour that just just flew by. Um, I, I think they took a-, a bit of a step back in, in the second hour. Um, but I-, I thought Falls Count Anywhere was certainly the match of the night. Absolutely. But, uh, but performance of the night, I might lean towards Eddie Kingston. I thought he really did great in that segment. I, I wouldn't disagree with that either. Um, you know, that first hour, the first hour was really good. I thought it was absolutely stellar. So the whole thing, I I would say, I mean, I thought the whole show was worth watching, but, um, maybe it was cause like the first one was so strong that the second one felt a little bit more difficult in terms of, uh, I guess my excitement and, and my, even my own energy. I, I also feel like they, how did you feel about the canned crowd noise this week? Um, it's very noticeable. Um, I've come to just kind of accept it on all the shows because I think they're all kind of trying to get away with it as much as possible. And sports is doing it too. Sports are going to be doing it. I think it's going to become, everyone's going to get used to it very quickly, but I would imagine the sports world, there's going to be a lot of day after complaints about it because it's so different and it's, it takes a long, a lot to get used to that. I I definitely think it's better than not having it. I mean, if you look at the crowd in this uh, episode, it did, it looked pretty sparse and and pretty minimal, but um, you know, like Stephanie was talking about, I I hope that they take feedback and they understand how much is too much. I definitely felt like there were moments where on this episode, it almost got to be too much to me. Like if I'm paying attention to it, that means like it, and it's very difficult to try to like edit something that really otherwise like, like how do you, edit thousands of voices you know mm-hmm. into the whole thing it's it's not easy and they i don't know how much time they they even have for some of these episodes but i i, I just i hope there's the technology and like the the um maybe sensitivity of of editors and and uh, directors to to know how much crowd noise to put in i hope that just continues to grow uh before we get to the feedback did you see any of impact on tuesday i did yeah i watched the show I really enjoyed that main event, the tag match. It was fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely worth worth checking out. Um, like I thought that was on par with um, anything at Slammiversary. Like I, I just thought it was a really great tag match. They they put the tag titles on the machine guns. And the North, I mean, they've had the titles over a year. Um, it was like last 20 minutes of the show. I thought that was that was clearly the the strongest thing on, on Impact on Tuesday. And we, we got... You know, all the new names coming in, they were all on the show, along with a promo for Brian Myers coming in, the former Kurt Hawkins. That's right, yeah. Uh, you know, it feels like we're kind of saying this, or at least I hear this almost after every Impact pay-per-view, but they always feel like good jumping on points because shit just changes. Like, some yep. some big catastrophic thing just changes with the, with the company for every one of these, but this one certainly felt like it perhaps even more than most because you had so much more new talent. Uh, you know, it started off with with EC3 kind of doing his new character, um, more of like a almost like a conspiracy. I, I know it's his tagline, but man, when he was like leaving after attacking Moose and Josh Matthews is he's writing his own narrative. It's like, man, that that line is not going to resonate too long. No, I don't think. When he's you're, writing his own narrative. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, like, um, the, in the handling of a lot of these things, like, oh, my God, like, he doesn't work here. What's he doing here? Like, Keith. <laughs> overstating it just, like, makes it seem so fake. You know, like, it's 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 something I think, like, an announcer has to, like, get used to maybe being a bit more sensitive to 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 know how to properly portray something like that. To constantly say, what's he doing here? He doesn't work here. 
like that kind of like makes makes me just think he does work here um i i i I thought the good brothers like had a really you know good promo um immediately just in that one segment they showed me the type of personality that they have that they were in a very very tough environment like it's very tough to do their like kind of witty jokes and stuff to silence wwe oh okay no i just mean in the in like the empty setting that they had like i agree it was a a fine segment when they first came out and they're like joking and it's just uh like there's it's silence that they're playing to i think that's really tough with the comedy yeah i I don't disagree but i i I, you know more uh, like the the way that they were speaking and i think the how how naturally they flowed with one another and the personalities to me came out way more just in this one segment alone than anything they've done in wwe they feel like the main characters on the show. Like they are, mm-hmm. like they are the stars of the show. That's what it felt like on Tuesday. I agree with you. Yes. Um. You know, they also had like, like uh, overall production. Like you know, had had really good like you know recap segments for people who didn't watch Slammiversary. Um. And you know, got a bit from uh, really the entire roster. If you did watch this two hours, I thought it moved really well. They're doing the open challenge. They're doing that for Eddie yeah. Edwards now. Yeah. Um. So I mean, it's uh. It's going to be compared to to the Cody version on AEW, and they're going to start with Eddie Edwards and Trey Miguel next week. Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on in Impact. Oh, and, and Wrestle, Wrestle House. I was going to say, they're doing a reality show spoof called Wrestle House that begins next week. Um, yeah, it's it, it, it's an idea to produce content outside of that studio, mm-hmm. which I'm all for. It's a very tough environment that they are operating in. Yeah. So we'll see how that turns out. The impact's usually pretty good with that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, whole, uh, new ideas like now. Now is the time time to try. So yeah. All right, let's go to the forum. And tonight, the show got a oh dear, um, seven point nine six. Seven point nine six. All right, there you go. Paul from New Jersey starts things off. I've always really liked Eddie Kingston, and I thought he was absolute fire tonight. MJF continues to be a cut above the rest. Can't say enough about his performance. Britt Baker deserves an Emmy. The women's tag cup is a bad idea. Maybe it's because of the horror show that has been WWE creative, but this show was so refreshing. Very little I did not enjoy. Eight and a half Space Jam viewings out of ten. There you go. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm curious to know why, Paul, you feel like it's a bad idea. Um, is it, you know, the quality of the matches that you you believe that, you know, the, um, uh, the, the tournament will provide or lack of star power? Um, how do you feel about it, John? I'll, I'll see how it's executed. Um, I think it's, it's a way to have, you know, a a dedicated focus for the, for, for the, the women's division for X amount of weeks um, to, to do this. Um, it, it's all in the execution. I think it's, um, you know, look, look at it this way. It's going to be a dedicated uh, tag segment every week. So you look at like next week, like they're going to have to carve out that time. Time is very limited. So I think that they will, you know, and I think it's, it's like a, it's a, like a pretty, heavy or high bar now when it comes to mm-hmm. AEW and what people expect in those segments every week, because it is a limited amount of time. You have this, t- all this talent in this uh, particular roster, and you're going to be dedicating uh, a match every week to the women's division. And they'll have to perform at that level. We got Andrew from Cape Breton who says, I've watched Eddie Kingston on and off for over a decade, starting in Shikara and seeing him around the horn 
and multiple indies and impact and i'm glad he got the chance tonight i'm not sure if the boots story is true but that certainly made him out to be a babyface to me even if he was acting like a heel in the match this was also an impressive outing from Cody and probably his best TNT title defense to date. I like these types of AEW shows where you get a lot of building for the future. MJF and Hangman Page were impressive, as were Diamante and Ivelisse. Of course the masks were an issue. I'll give the NXTRS credit. They wear their masks constantly, where it's at, whereas it seemed tonight people just gave up on wearing them in, in the front row. My hope is once they tape again, they'll straighten up and fly right. 8 out of 10 show, though. Yeah, That was definitely noticeable tonight. Mm-hmm. Um... It was it was less than last week, um, and these yeah. were like the same uh, you know taping schedule. Okay, uh, just gonna blitz through this one from Jared Taylor. Uh, this is the first Eddie Kingston match I've watched. Kingston's mannerisms and movement and selling were all spectacular. Reminds me of Kevin Owens, the way he entirely inhabits his persona when performing. Cody is such a good fired up babyface, and this was a great match for him. Uh, Goes on to say, the main event tag was okay, but nothing too notable for me outside of Jericho's heel work. During the beatdown, I was thinking Serpentico was a replacement for Sammy Guevara, not expecting him to be back so soon. I'm sure AEW will get some blowback for giving him such a glorified return given the circumstances, but I think it was a fun reveal. I enjoyed the walk-in from Orange Cassidy. Did you... ESPN did this big feature on Orange Cassidy, and... (laughs) It's like got all these quotes from from Cassidy, from Tony Khan, the best friends, from Jim Ross. And they're just like Khan explains that, you know, he wasn't all that familiar with Cassidy before AEW started, but then saw him in the Casino Battle Royale at the first double or nothing. And then got to spend a lot of time with this guy and started to really get the character. And he said he's now become a real big merchandise mover and TNT loves this guy. And they're just talking about the rise. And the article ends with <laughs> Orange Cassidy has now been handed the ball. Is he ready to run run with it? And the last line is from Orange Cassidy. No, I'm going to walk. <laughs> Excellent. I thought it was amusing. Uh, On to you. <laughs> we got to I can certainly appreciate it. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to see it for myself. Raymond in Sacramento says, 10 out of 10 show, and that's legit. I was floored by that episode of Dynamite. Cody's open challenge continues to work to work well, especially when you can bring in a guy like Eddie Kingston and let him cut a promo to open the show and announce himself. And the match was good too. I don't want to give a complete reaction to each thing on the show, so I'll sum it up like this. The people running the show love what they're doing. The product that they put out there for two hours each week is an example of that. This is quality entertainment and lifts the spirit every week. In this day and age, I appreciate that. And welcome back, Sammy. I hope you're a better man because of all this. Okay, we continue on to Ben from Vancouver. So happy to see Eddie Kingston get an opportunity. He's one of the best talkers in wrestling today, and that was a hell of a match with Cody. AEW's roster is so stacked that they don't really need Kingston, but he could fit in almost anywhere. Also, I liked uh, Diamante and Ivelisse. They both look good and are desperately needed in the women's division. I thought the main event was a bit long, but like the Sammy Guevara Serpentico swerve. Fun show overall, 8 out of 10. Question, which free agent females do you see AEW bringing in for the tournament? Um, rather than specifics way, like how how many outsiders do you expect? Do you think that like they can draw from enough that we're going to see a lot of these made up of some of uh, QT Marshall's students and you know a lot of the women that we've seen on Dark that could make up the, maybe not all 16, but enough of them? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so 16 people and, you know, you have to figure like these first rounds um, will probably consist of like a lot more in experience, right? I really do hope that there's enough like experienced performers that are out there with interesting backgrounds, interesting stories that they can they can use. Because primarily, I think what you're ultimately hope is, hoping for is that um, eight people, you know, at the most, perhaps, you know, really get that spotlight, really get that time to be elevated. And among them, uh, is there enough talent that's out there? Even within AEW, there's certainly at least like several several names that I think uh, could use and and uh, deserve that that spotlight outside of the company. Uh, you know, Thunder Rosa me- uh, mentioned, you know, did like quote tweet um, Hikaru Shida's open challenge. So I guess she. You, might you know be- what? If if there, if there's talent that are not expecting to, like NWA to restart anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they had some really good women there between Allison K, Marty Bell. Um, you mentioned yeah. Thunder Rosa. Like there were, there, there's a few that I, I think Allison K is a uh, tremendous, like she could be a, a great addition to this women's division. If, um, and it, w- it would seem like that would be, that, that would be someone I would, I would certainly reach out to. Yeah. Uh, you know, it just sucks for, the NWA for whenever they decide to come back. Cause you know, I don't know if they know when that is, but they'll, they'll have a, they might have a very different roster to come back to. Well, I mean, Eddie Kingston's like an example, like you cannot, uh, unless these are people that like, uh, unless there was some contractual restriction, which I mean, it was a very, very small number that they had under deals. Like you can't expect these people to just wait forever. Mm-hmm. And just because, and they may go get signed elsewhere, but they also might just take dates, and then they're still available if if NWA whatever their timetable is. But you cannot expect these performers during this period to just to sit and wait. Um, yeah. And I'm sure the NWA wouldn't either. So um, you know, there, there's a lot of talent out there, and there's a lot of talent that haven't worked for for months um, that I'm mm-hmm. sure would love to get that call. Um, I'm up here. Uh, is it me or you? Um, um... Okay, you you go. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we go to Ryan, who says, This episode seemed to have a touch more aggression than normal wrestling shows, perhaps as a reaction to the overly mild extreme rules, but there was quite a few spots that made me cringe. Tacks, barbed wire bats, missed dives through a table. Anytime MJF has a mic, you know it's going to be gold. Dude needs a title sooner than later. Um, After Sunday, I would not be saying I cringed at anything on this show. Um, well, cringe that, like, you know, the, the pain or, or the, the violence. Everyone's eyes were intact. Even Arn Anderson's who's were threatened by Eddie Kingston. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one thing they have going for scrump from the PWT cast. Bang, bang. Hello, gentlemen. Hope all is well. I had to stop in and talk about how happy I was to see Eddie F and Kingston on tonight's show. Eddie has always been an entertaining talent to watch, and hopefully this is only the first of many appearances to come. His post-match promo they released online almost had me in tears with the passion that radiated through. Um, that promo you can find on uh, AEW's Twitter. At an indie show here in Chicago, a fan tried to fight Eddie, and Eddie proceeded to knock him out with one punch, roll back into the ring, and then get on the mic to ask, where are all the thick Asian and Latina women at? I knew then I would be a fan of his for life. Eight out of ten. Thank you, Scrum. Thanks for letting me take that one way. <laughs> MJ says, any story the entire elite group is in is really well told. From Golden Lovers, Bucks, to Kenny Cody, and now Hangman Kenny and the Bucks, and now adding FTR, fantastic. 
and so many other long, long-term long stories and callbacks to latch onto. This is a good TV show to watch. Say nothing about the wrestling. I have good hopes for a women's tournament. Regarding BTE, is it possible they are increasing the length of the show to be able to show advertisers and partners increased viewing hours, etc.? Yes, it's a KPI, but I did notice their toy line being sold in Walmart, which seems like a good retailer to have as a partner. Maybe that chili spot is even paid for? There's no doubt there's a bigger push for being the elite from the the in-program plugs. that they, I don't think they did one tonight, but they have been uh, plugging being the elite throughout uh, the past couple of weeks uh, of Dynamite. That There definitely seems to be more of an emphasis on it within the, the show itself. I think it's, you know, I, I can't really speak to whether or not um, it's, you know, any strategic um, tactic that they're using to get more advertisers uh, for something like that. I mean, it could be. Why not? It's one of their properties. But I would say that there's a bigger need for being the elite now that you have such a growing roster and such limited TV time. What being the elite seems to have turned into is, you know, the place where you can let new talent i mean it's their version of AEW dark but rather than having guys get in-ring experience they're getting backstage promo experience they're getting character development experience um a lot of these guys are having to come up with their own storylines and their own characters and their own bits and you're seeing varying levels of, of success but i think you're seeing like in my opinion more successes than fails like Dark Order, as I've, I've been talking about for weeks now, have, have really kind of found themselves on BTE, um, even though, you know, they don't seem to be, to be translating that same type of persona on, on, onto TV. But um, Santana and Ortiz do a really, like, um, uh, uh, amusing um, sort of, like, uh, Spanglish thing every single week on, on, on the thing. Um, so that's unique to them. Matt Hardy continues to, I think, you know... To, make great use of his like changing gimmick things, but all on BTE. So it's a thing that's, you know, very low pressure. Like it's, you know, I get the sense it's like Brandon Cutler walking around saying, Hey, you have an idea for a thing. All right, let's shoot it and throw it up there and see how the audience reacts. So I argue that it's more like BTE being longer might be more out of necessity to develop younger talent than anything. Noah from Vaughn is our last piece of feedback. The TNT Championship has been fantastic for AEW, not only from giving chances to younger stars on the roster, such as Sonny Kiss, Mark Quinn, Jungle Boy, but for unsigned talents such as Ricky Starks and now Eddie Kingston, who I thought had a hell of a match on this show. I thought this show had such great pacing and got so much accomplished in setting up the coming weeks of TV. Glad to see Sammy return tonight. Inner Circle just feel just didn't feel complete without him. That five-on-five -five match next week should be crazy good. It seems to me that these past few weeks, have, uh, AEW has really hit its stride once again and is putting on shows that are on par with those critically acclaimed episodes of Dynamite leading into Revolution. Like Paul from New Jersey said, after the extreme horror show, this was so refreshing to watch tonight. Nine butchers out of ten blades. Butchers out of blades. Okay. There we go. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, as always, for your feedback, including Scrump. And... <laughs> That's going to wrap up the show, and way I will not be back on Friday night, but you will be, and joined by friend of the show, Chris and Ashley from the Bell to Bell site, and you guys will be uh, hosting Rewind to SmackDown, which will be live at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly going to be difficult to fill John's shoes, but uh, I will try my best, and I will have the help of Kristen, as well as hopefully all of you tuning in, so... Um, I don't even know what we have to look forward to yet on SmackDown. Did they announce? Okay, whatever. Well, we'll... You've got the bar fight. 
The bar fight, of course, of course, of course. Um, I apologize to Kirsten in advance, but uh, we've got that to discuss. And this weekend, the Rocky My Via Picture Show. And John, more importantly, please enjoy the next several days because you've been on a run. You've been on like, how many shows have you done in a row now? Oh, Lord. Um, I think since Friday. I, I think I think since Friday. Oh, uh, that that sounds right. Well, I, I will I will have no internet connection for three days, and I can't say that that is uh, a bad thing. I am I am very much looking forward to being uh, disconnected. Will you have a new player of flip flops? That is to be determined tomorrow by uh, what the mall situation is like in my area, because I have not been to a mall in over four months. Oh wow! Uh, well. You know, it, it, this could be a blessing in disguise because imagine if you had broke your flip-flops while at the cottage. That that would have been bad. How would you have gotten a new pair then? That would have been a... I, I would have probably just bought like some crutches or something and just uh, hobbled around. I don't know what I would have done. It could have been it could have been horrible. So crisis averted. Uh, perfect timing, I guess. And now, uh, of all the years I've known way, I learned a new thing tonight. And that is, if I was in dire need... I don't think he would have stopped his car to help. I think he. Oh, I think he would have. La- of course, I, I would. I think I would have gotten home after forty-five <laughs> minutes, and I would have seen this on my Twitter feed. Hey, someone caught me on camera. Where did this come from? No. Way oh nine three seven. Okay, of course you're right. If I saw this, I would have laughed. And you're probably right. I probably would have taken my cell phone out. But then, of course, I would have helped. Are you kidding me? That's true. You you would have you would have made it uh, mutually beneficial. Um, I would if you were going to help me, it would have it would have cost me something, but you would have helped in the I would have got the content first. We'd probably make a t-shirt based on it and uh, or started a new podcast series about, about sandals or something that would go on for two years. But then, of course, I would help you. Well, <laughs> what a saint. Saint Ting. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, that is it for us. Go check out Up Next with Braden and Davey as they make sense of NXT. And that is it. Good night.